0: Happy Friday to everyone out there. Today is part two of the mailbag opening up after you all sent me questions on Thursday. And for today's episode, I have a little bit of help with that regard.
1: You're locked on penguins. Your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I am your host, Hunter Hodes. You're going to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LONSR Penguins. And of course, thank you all so much for making this your first listen slash watch of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. I have a special guest for today's episode. This is his first time being on the Locked On Penguins podcast, and that is none other than Patrick Damp of KDK and one of the co-hosts of the Dying Alive podcast with Jesse Marshall and Mike Darnay. They also had Sean Gentilly on quite often. One of my favorite Penguins podcasts out there. They started doing that show well before Locked on Penguins was a thing. But Pat, I figured I would bring you on to discuss some of the other questions that the listeners brought in today.
1: Yeah, man, I'm excited. Um, You know, we talk a lot on Twitter and directly about just the Penguins and life in general. So I'm excited to join the show as both, you know, one of your friends and a listener of the show.
0: Appreciate you always listening. I appreciate everyone out there listening to slash watching the Locked on Penguins podcast. So let's dive into some of the other questions here. Remember, I'm going to try to get to all of the remaining questions, but if I don't get to yours, it is not a slight on you. I just had so many questions come in, whether it was YouTube, Twitter, DMs, Instagram, text messages. I'm trying to answer as many as I can. The first one here comes from M Wallach and the next two after this are kind of similar. So I'll go into them in just a second, but he asks Hunter, in terms of backup Eric Carlson options, any of the reports are true about trading one to two first round picks along with former first round picks and PO Joseph and Owen Pickering, should they be able to land someone else? that's pretty big. I, I would say so. Yes. But you're probably going to have to attach more than just a first-round picker to an Owen Pickering, a P.O. Joseph. You're probably going to have to attach a pretty decent roster player that's not Jeff Petrie or Mikhail Granlin. And that honestly goes in hand with one of the next questions here where from Scott The Oreo who asks, Aside from the rumored Carlson trade, who else do you expect Dublis to target in a trade this summer? I can give you my answer, Pat and that is Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks. Restricted free agent right now, made less than 2 million this past season, a little bit of a late bloomer. In 2021-2022, had 37 goals, 67 points in 75 games this past season, 23 goals, 61 points in 70 games. His underlings are insane. This past season ranked in the 87th percentile for 5-on-5 offense, 98th percentile for transition and the 95th percentile for five-on-five even strength defense. The Ducks don't have to move him, even though he's an RFA, but they'll probably want a King's Ransom for him if they do. But this is a player who's 25 years old. He'll cost a lot, but if you can somehow get him on the Penguins, he can play up and down your lineup on the right wing. That is someone who I would trade quite a lot for to say the least. So outside, you know, the Carlson stuff, that is someone who I think fits the mold of a new trade. What do you think of that? And just the other question as well.
1: Can, can I treat this like high school and just copy your paper? Cause that's, that's a great answer. Another one that I've had in mind, especially since last season, when the, the trade talk for him picked up, I still like the name Jacob Chikrin. I don't know if Ottawa was going to be willing to move him so I soon. I, I doubt it too. But, you know, I just started watching the show Tulsa King and he has a great line in that where he says the answer is always no until you ask. So that's a guy that I think if you're not going to get Carlson, he's a good target. Number two, I don't he's obviously not Eric Carlson, who is other than maybe Chris Letang and a handful of other players. But he's a guy I think could fill the same kind of need, put more depth on your blue line, give you an offensive push. And I think that's really the biggest thing right now that they need from the blue line is more of an offensive push. We've talked about the bottom six. I've written about it uh, for penguins perspectives on KDK TV, that the bottom six was the biggest glaring weakness last year, not even just because they got caved in defensively. They just didn't add anything offensively. So you can take some pressure off your bottom six. If you can get some production from the back end, which is why I think, Tar- Carlson should be the main target and the guy that they should really push all in to get whether it's just a simple trade with the Sharks and trade cap space or getting in a third team to retain some more salary or pick up some other assets that make San Jose happy but yeah I agree with you if they can open up the vault to get a Troy Terry it, sign me up for that immediately because then not only do they have more offensive depth they just have a lot more scoring punch up front and If you've been a fan of the Penguins since the 80s, that's what they're built on is scoring goals. And they don't win 2-1 games like the 90s Devils. They'll beat you 7-5 if they have to. And we as Penguins fans love that.
0: I keep making the joke if the Carlson trade goes through, Pat. Every game, 8-7, 9-8, 7-6, 6-5. Just take everyone back to the 1980s if they go and get Carlson. I had a lot of Carlson questions (laughs) for part one of the mailbag on Thursday, ranging from... Oh, like, is, does this make them a contender who you have to give up? So I've already dove into that. But yeah, in terms of backed up options for him, there's really not much out there. I mean, I've been asked about Matt Dumba. I think he's kind of just a little, yeah, his underlings aren't what they used to be anymore. I also don't think he brings much of an offensive punch anymore. Noah Hannafin, I don't think the Penguins have room for him because they just signed Ryan Graves. I don't think he's going to play on his offside. And just moving on to the next question, and funny enough, it contains Eric Carlson, and it's kind of similar to the Troy Terry answer I had, but this comes from the Boss Baby. Do you think that if the Penguins don't land Carlson, that Dubas could attempt to put together a package for William Nylander to get more scoring to allow a player like Brian Russ to move to the bottom six? Well, Troy Terry would obviously do that. You can move Russ down to your third line, and that will be pretty good, and I'll have more on Brian Russ a little bit later on in this episode with Pat. But William Nylander, yes, that would make sense. But that all comes down to what's going to happen there. I understand there's a lot of history with William Nylander and Kyle Dubis. Dubis was the general manager in Toronto when Nylander was kicking butt. He had 40 goals and 87 points this past season. He's one heck of a player. But the Maple Leafs' priority right now is to re-sign him. They don't want to lose him. And I think a trade is the last resort like that's that's something they do if there's no deal to be made at all and the so this two sides are so far apart that they're like okay we have to get something for for him before he walks at the end of next season but what do you think about that potential situation of getting willie willie nylander and yes everyone i know it is silly season it's july 14th just bear with us here
1: yeah, exactly. I made that caveat in a column, too, where it's July, we're looking for everything and anything to talk about for the NHL and for the Penguins. I think the Nylander thing's far fetched. It's uh, just along with the fact that I don't think even with new management in place in Toronto, they're not interested in, in losing him. And the other thing I look at there is the rumors are he wants somewhere in the ballpark of 10 million. And I, I, I love William Nylander. I, I, I have been vocal about the fact that I think what Dubas put together in Toronto and his time there was outstanding. It's just a cursed franchise. It's to the point where it's almost silly why they can't win. You know, it's one thing or another, but I just don't think they have the cap space. And I also just I think Dubas wants to move on from that era of his career. He, he stuck. I think it's something he learned. He stuck by his guys in Toronto and rightfully so they all produced, they were all elite level players and still are, but this is a new chapter for Kyle Dubas. He doesn't want to just run it back. And I know he got Nola Chari, but that's not a guy that he had for a long time in Toronto. That was a deadline pickup last year. And I, overall, I, I mean, if, if, Tomorrow you said they found a way to swing a trade to get William Nylander. I wouldn't be tweeting about how it was stupid. I'd be over the moon about it because that's a great addition. But I, I just don't see – I don't see a scenario where he can be traded. It, it's like you said. That's, you know, DEFCON 1 in Toronto. They can't come to a deal. They're so far apart that it's just a toxic relationship. And I just don't see that. I think he loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. He's one of their core three I don't really count Tavares because he was brought in as a free agency signing. So similar to Crosby, Malkin, Latang, that's, those are the guys, you know, Matthews, Nylander, uh, those guys are That's who they're putting the chips on. And he's probably not going to be outside of the blue anytime in the foreseeable future.
0: I also don't think so. I want to call a little bit of an audible just for the end of this first segment, because there is a, another William Nylander question that I wanted to get to. And this comes from Caleb C. What would you think of a potential one-for-one swap of Jake Gensel for William Nylander? He says, I know it's very unlikely, which you know Pat and I just discussed, but I don't know if Nylander is going to re-sign with the Leafs in both of free agents after this year. I feel like Nylander could be, be a bit better offensively than Jake Gensel. And while that's an unpopular opinion, I think I would take the risk. That is a really fun topic to discuss and in the middle of July, Gensel for Nylander. My take on that is I don't think I would do it because I think Jake is the better goal scorer. I do think Nylander is the better playmaker. He has him beat there. And it's funny. You look at their numbers, just looking next to each other, Jake Densel in 453 games, 197 goals, 414 points. And then for Nylander in 521 games, 177 goals in 430 points. That's very similar production right there. But as I said, Jake is the better goal scorer. I think in a vacuum, I'd maybe say yes. But in terms of you know real life, what we're talking right now, I would not do it because Jake is the better goal scorer. And because, and this is maybe a little lesser of a reason, I don't think you want to make Sidney Crosby mad going into the final couple of years of his contract because it's very evident how much he loves playing with Gensel. Would you, would that trade interest you at all? Uh,
1: yes and no. I, I, I like the thought process because they are very similar. You would get a little bit younger, which is a pet peeve of mine with this fan base is all oh, you got to get younger. You got to get younger. And everybody leaves out the second half of the sentence, which is if you're going to get younger, you have to get better. It, yeah. It's a young man's league. Now all, guys in their twenties are really starting to take over, but you have to get better. And I think that would be if you were replacing Jake Gensel, if the Penguins were to walk away from Jake Gensel and not resign him, and the, the Leafs do the same uh, with Nylander. I can see it, but at the same time, I do think Jake Gensel not only is a better goal scorer, I think he just plays a better game that's suited to Sidney Crosby's wing. I say it all the time. You can talk about how, oh, Crosby made this guy, that guy, whatever, better. But playing with an elite talent is a skill within itself. You have to know where to be. You have to be able to keep up. You have to be able to play the game on a similar level as that elite talent. And Jake Gensel, I say it about him all the time. He is a true coach's kid when it comes to a player. You rarely see him out of position. And he has the one thing that despite being a coach's kid, you can't teach. He knows where to be to score. You either have that or you don't. And I'm not saying Nylander doesn't. He absolutely does. He's one of the more electric goal scorers in the National Hockey League. But I just think overall, Jake Gensel's the better player. He's a better 200-foot player. Uh, I know we had the debate after the Rangers series and the Islanders series that oh, that he's too small, he's too small. You watch the way he plays. He plays well above his size. Give me a break. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm with you on that. And just, I think overall he's the better player, and I would take him maybe Mm -hmm. not on a longer-term deal, just considering his age and where the Penguins are as a franchise. But all in all, I'm sticking with Jake Gensel. I would as
0: well. And honestly, Pat, I think Gensel is going to be cheaper on this next deal then Nylander you discussed it you've been seeing rumors that he could get upwards of 9.5 10 million per season Nylander that is Gensel if the Penguins can lock him up at say eight times eight eight times 8.5 heck even eight times nine I would think that's a win because he's going to ask for quite a bit on this next contract and he's going to be well
1: worth it well I think too it's going to be very similar to Brian Rust in the sense that Brian Rust uh, last year could very easily hit the open market I think he understood the advantageous situation that he was in playing for Pittsburgh, having the chance to play with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And that's not to say that he wouldn't do well elsewhere, but he complements those two really well. And that increases his production as opposed to learning a whole new system with a whole new center on a whole new team. So I think it'd be a similar thing where he understands that he's going to get to play with an elite center at least as long as they remain elite and that's going to increase his production. If he stays.
0: I would agree with that as well. And, you know, even with Sidney Crosby getting a bit older, his production really hasn't dropped off that much. And let's pray that it doesn't for this season, because the penguins are going to need him more than ever. If they want to get back to the playoffs and speaking of Brian rust, we'll discuss a question regarding him in the second segment. But before we discuss that, Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day, usually between 8.30 in the morning and 9.30 in the morning or when I just wake up. And I usually drink it right as I'm making my coffee for each day. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and it's why I am a huge fan of every daily serving I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL network. Check it out. All right, we're back here in this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I am Hunter Hodes. That is Patrick Damp of KDKA and Dying Alive. So, Pat, speaking of Brian Russ, as I tease heading into our second segment here, Lenny9577 wants to know, do you think Brian Russ is expendable at the deadline if he plays similar to this past season? And that one is a bit interesting. I understand that Russ was not that good this past year. 20 goals, 46 points. Before this season, there was a three-year stretch where he scored at a 35-goal, 74-point pace. It's very good. And the numbers he had that season, he scored well over 20 goals in 55 to 60 games. He he missed over 20-plus games during those seasons. This past season, that was able to stay healthy wasn't the same. But I think part of that was due to his shooting percentage absolutely cratering this season. He only shot 8% at 5-on-5. The two seasons prior, 18%. 18.3%. His goals per 60 rate this past season, 0.68. His total assists per 60 this past season, 3.08 compared to 3.49 the previous season. So all of his numbers went down. It honestly looks like it's more of an outlier than what's to come. I expect Rust to bounce back this upcoming season, but if he doesn't, I do think you may have to look at potential other options, either moving him down the lineup or moving him out of Pittsburgh. But the tricky thing is, Rust has a full no-move clause on that contract. He dictates where he goes for this upcoming season, and that may prove to be a bit hard to navigate if the Penguins think that they can't get as much value out of him as they thought they would be.
1: Well, you said it. Last year felt like an outlier. It's that The way you explained it, in my opinion, is how you quantify luck to an extent. He, The puck just would not go in. He did mostly all the same things he's done over the past few seasons in regards to his offensive play. The pucks just didn't go in, and that was kind of the story of the Penguins last year in general. That they, just The pucks weren't going in for them. It, I always say with players like Rust, I get worried when the chances stop coming. When they stop generating chances, then I'm worried. I'm not too worried about Brian Rust. Um, I also don't think he's someone you want to move on from just yet. Plus, it's, it's a hockey Twitter joke. People say it all the time. We can't just do trade all our bad players for all their good players. And if Brian Rust falls off a cliff, unfortunately, he falls into that category. It's why I was a little bit disappointed uh, at the Kyle Dubas presser when he said there's more creative ways to move a player than a buyout in regards to Mikhail Granlin, because he's no shot at him for that, but he's just, he's making too much in regards to his production. So that's going to be really hard to move, but back to rust. I think it's going to come back this year. I, maybe not to the same level just because of the aging curve, but last year, just shooting percentage plummets the, the pucks aren't going in, but he's creating chances. So long as he's a positive in driving offense for the Penguins, he's doing his job. That's what he's here to do. He's here to be a good play driving winger that chips in 2025, 20, hopefully 30 goals a season. And as long as he's playing the game that he's played the last few years, I'm not too worried. Uh, hopefully it rebounds, but it, it, I also, it, with the no move to, it shows that they've committed to this player and even under new ownership, it, it does feel like one of the one of the things the Penguins have staked their claim on is when they have their guys, they commit to them. They don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. They don't pull a Vegas, which you can debate whether that's good or bad. But I think Rust is a guy that they're going to hold on to, and he's due for a pretty big bounce-back season.
0: I sure hope so. And it looked like he was taking this past season really personally. You tell when he was going to the bench, he was really frustrated with himself, especially not even just scoring, but on the penalty kill, he even said like, I'm not doing my job out there. It looked like he was having a hard time and I'm, I'm really excited to see him hopefully have a much better year this year, even though he is getting a bit up there in age. Shifting gears a little bit to the next question. This has to do with Drew O'Connor. The Black Who from Penguins Twitter asks, why does Mike Sullivan want Drew O'Connor running wing versus being a center after how well he performed during the World Championships. So he had eight points in 10 games, 14 USA during the World Championships, during the Stanley Cup playoffs, was one of their best players, to be honest. And he's someone that I'm really excited about heading into the season. If you're asking me, I think it's because the Penguins want their bottom two centers to have more of a defensive focus. And then maybe on the wing, that's where more of the offense, I think per se, could come from now. Do I agree with that? Eh, I'm like kind of indifferent. I don't think Lars Eller should be the team's third line center. I've been discussing that way too often on the show. But that's where I think Mike Sullivan and Kyle Dubis are going with this bottom six. They want two defensive minded centers outside of Sidney Crosby and Guinea Malkin, and then. On the wings, you can have someone like a Drew O'Connor to drive you some offense. Maybe someone like Alex Nylander, if he makes the team. If you can get 12 to 15 goals from Noel that would obviously be great. But that's how I look at it personally, Pat.
1: I also think there needs to be the caveat of the disparity that happens in the world championships. You know, the best players in the world are still playing in the NHL, in the Stanley Cup playoffs when that time comes. You know, granted, there's years like, 14 and 15 when someone like Sidney Crosby gets knocked out of the playoffs in the first round and jumps over to play for team Canada, but the competition's a little bit lesser at the world championships, which gives players like Drew O'Connor a chance to shine. I also think that he's a good player to have in your lineup. He reminds me of a younger Brian Rust in the sense that he's a Swiss army knife. You can play him at wing. You can play him in the bottom six. For a short period of time, if you need him at center, you can play him at center. And he's another player that I have marked this year to take a big jump just because he's been effective when he's played for the Penguins. And, you know, I think having him on a wing is the best place to have him, A, just because it takes a little bit off his plate. And like you said, the Penguins do want some defensive accountability from their third and fourth line centers. You think back to the back-to-back championships in 16 and 17 Nick Benino wasn't a guy who lit the league up offensively he chipped in when he needed to but he was a great two-way player the same was the same could be said for Matt Cullen same deal guy who wasn't an offensive juggernaut but chipped in from time to time but was a great 200 foot player for what he brought to the team and this I think that's kind of where I don't totally differ from you with the Lars Eller thing I do think it's a bit of a risk, but I do think for what the Penguins try to do, the system Sullivan tries to play, Eller will suit that will be suited for that a little bit better. So I think drew O'Connor on the wing is the right place to have him. And as we've seen with Mike Sullivan outside of a Crosby line, or maybe even a Malkin line, he's not afraid to put his lines in a blender. So if drew O'Connor's playing well on the wing, maybe he gets a shot with Malkin and If he keeps producing, why not? If it's not broken, don't fix it.
0: Yeah, the thing with that, I and I have seen people argue for O'Connor to be in the top six. I think DK's daily shot, he has he's been riding that train for a while about O'Connor playing in the top six. I understand if maybe you need him there for a few games, but I want to see him score a bit more in the bottom six before I'm like, okay. Let's take more of those training wheels off per se. And let's have you run with some of the big boys up there and Evgeny Mulk Malkin, Riley Smith or Carter Cal, all those other guys. But and I it's an, 80,
1: it's an 82 game season. Like yeah. th- th- there's going to be a stretch in December or January when it's dark at five o'clock. We're all wanting to go to bed. Come six o'clock. We don't want to watch a game against the Arizona coyotes on a Thursday in January. And in, the, in that stretch of season, that's a guy who can provide a spark when you're you're down in the, in the dumps, just in the doldrums of the season. And I think that's why they're going to keep him up this year and the role that he's going to play on the team. I agree. And I keep saying this too. Training camp is going to be fun seeing him go up against
0: players like Andreas Janssen, Vinny Hinestroza, Alex Nylander. Probably going to be one of the best four competitions we've seen in quite some time. One or two more here before we go to – Our final commercial break, RDPW Life asks, Hunter, do you think the Penguins are still good enough to make the playoffs, even if they don't get Eric Carlson, since the East is so tough? I got a similar question for the Thursday edition of the mailbag, and I'm going to say yes, I do think the Penguins are a playoff team heading into the season, even if they don't get Eric Carlson, because if they don't get Carlson... Dubas is not going to be done no matter what. I don't think the team that you see here on July 14th is going to be the team that you see on October 10th when the Penguins face off against the Chicago Blackhawks in the first game of the regular season. I think the teams below them have not done enough to leapfrog the Penguins. And I'm also, again, not a huge believer in the Islanders. I love Ilya Sorokin, Matt Barzell, Anders Lee, Pelik, and Pulak, but You know, put a whole out throw in there too. But I don't like the rest of their depth, to be honest. I don't think Louie Morello has done that good of a job. So I do think this is a playoff team right now, even if they don't get Carlson, but it'll still be a pretty good race in the Eastern
1: Conference. Simply just because of the improved bottom six, even though it's kind of marginal, that was their Achilles heel last year. They just did not have an effective bottom six whatsoever. I think that pushes them into playoff contention. Plus, like you said, the disparity between the 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 big teams in the Metro and the, the bottom teams in the Metro, it, it's so deep right now. Uh, I, like The thing I always think about the Islanders is for as great, and, and I don't want to downplay it, uh, as great as the general manager as Lou Lamorello is and was – he is still a little bit behind the times right now with the Islanders. The league is trending towards a much more up-tempo, offensive pace kind of league, and he's staking his team on a great goaltender in Sorokin, who genuinely is becoming one of, if not the best goalie in the National Hockey League. But he doesn't – like, eventually you do have to score. You you can play one nothing hockey all you want, but if you give up a goal – are you going to be able to get the second or the third? And looking at the Islanders roster, I don't see it. Uh, unfortunately for us Penguins fans, Daniel Briere has finally said the dreaded R-word in Philadelphia with the Flyers and rebuild. So they're down at the bottom. Columbus, I, I don't know what they're doing at all, but they're in no world a playoff team. They have a GM who is making moves to save his job. Pretty much. And then... From there, it's the Devils, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, the Penguins, and we'll see. And I think the East right now is an arms race, and that's why I think the Carlson deal needs to happen, because if you're going to go out, go out shooting. So try to get them, beef up your blue line, and like we said in the first segment, they don't ask how you win games, they just ask how many you win. So if they win every game, eight to seven, seven to six, nine to five, who cares? Just win. Yes.
0: At the end of the day, any kind of win is a win, of course. And won the show here with a opposite question about Eric Carlson. This comes from Gear the Armands, I believe is how you say it. Apologize if I somehow messed that up. But he says. Hunters, let's assume Eric Carlson does come in. Is this team ready to win another Stanley Cup? If not, what else is needed? And can you name some players who might be available and can fit that need? This is so tough to answer because, yes, Carlson, I think, does bring them closer to a Stanley Cup. But, no, I still don't think they're all the way there. We discussed Troy Terry a little earlier on as someone who could really just transform this forward group. He's 25 years old. He'll get a bunch of money. You'd have to figure that out cap wise. Maybe you can bring in someone like a Tomas Tatar who is still unsigned. He's a 17 to 20 goal scorer. He can, you can put him in your bottom six. For some reason he is – he gets going around by all these other teams and I don't understand because he's a very good middle six player and I just don't get it. You have Pew Suter who is still, still out there, really good player on the penalty kill. Really good bottom six score. I think that makes sense. So to answer your question, I I think with a couple other moves, they would be ready to be a Stanley Cup contender. I don't think Carlson gets them quite there,
1: but he gets them close. I try my hardest not to do Stanley Cup predictions just because I always call hockey organized chaos. It, it, it's a sport that is entirely unpredictable. And that's not even just going into what happened this past postseason. You know, Florida barely sneaks in. they get two wins from the Stanley Cup. Uh, Boston runs rough shot over the league and then loses in the first round. And if nothing else, Florida shows us showed us this year, and there's been a ton of examples in the past five, 10 years of just get in. because if you get in, anything can happen. And I do think Eric Carlson puts them closer to cup contention. I land mostly on your side of, I don't think that's the silver bullet that makes them cup contenders. Cause again, you go back and look at the back to backs in 16 and 17, they could roll out three and a half lines. Their fourth line wasn't juggernaut style, but that HBK line might as well have been the first line. They didn't have a first line those two years. So they're not deep enough at forward, I don't think, to be true Stanley Cup contenders. And we kind of saw that with Florida, similar to what I was saying about the Islanders. They had a really good defense. They had a great goaltender, but they didn't have anybody who could get them over the hump goal-wise. So you have to have more of an offensive punch, and they don't really have that right now. Yes.
0: I definitely do agree with that, and I I like some of the changes to the bottom six. They're definitely going to be a lot better defensively this upcoming season, but still, we will like to see maybe a 16, 17, 18 goal scorer down there. That's for sure. But that will wrap up this second segment. Coming up to end the show, we have just a few more questions to round out the mailbag, plus we'll dive into how Tristan Jari Looks ready to prove a lot of people wrong this upcoming season based on some of his comments made to the local media on Thursday. So stick around for that coming up right after this. All right, I'm back here in this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I am Hunter Hodes. That is Patrick Champ. All right, Pat, we're just going to roll through these final three questions here. Ben Feller asks, Hunter, what is the best Penguins game you ever attended? Oh, man. Uh. I am still heartbroken to this day that I have not been to a playoff game at PPG Paints Arena. It makes me very upset. Same with now in an arena. I was supposed to go to game five of the 2013 Bruins-Penguins series. Thanks a lot, Patrice Bergeron. Thanks a lot, everyone up in Boston. That was... Ouch. I had just gotten out of school for the summer. I was a freshman in high school that
1: year. Oh, God, and I'm so old.
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching game four. And when they lost, I had like, I'll fully admit it. I definitely had a couple tears running down my eyes as someone who was 16 years old. And
1: no, I don't do that now, obviously. I'm way
0: too old for that crap. And my mom came downstairs so upset. And she goes, Yeah, we were hiding from you the entire time. We were going to take you up and you were going to go to game five. I was, I was, was, they, she kept denying that they got tickets. But yeah, sure enough, they got tickets. But the best game I ever been to, what, well, the best game I ever have been to so far. December 19th, 2018, Penguins Capitals in Washington, 2-1 final, but you wouldn't know it based off how many chances each team had. This was at the peak of the Penguins Capitals rivalry of this era, and it was so much freaking fun. Going to the steps after the Penguins win that game 2-1, seeing Marcus Pedersen dive to save a goal. I believe Lars Eller shot it with about six minutes left. In the third period, seeing the Caps fans just all around me getting so upset whenever Sidney Crosby would do something. It was such a fun game to go to. I also, you know, went with one of my best friends who is still one of my best friends to this day. And that I think is still the best game I've been to. I easily could say the game in March of 2017 when the Penguins came down from. Three goals to beat the Sabres. They scored five unanswered goals to win that game. Or I could say this past season when Evgeny Malkin stole the puck from center ice and won the game against the Capitals. That was obviously Anthony Mantha with a horrible turnover that saved the season for a time. Could have said that, but I'm going to go December 19th, 2018, Penguins-Capitals.
1: Pat, which one's yours? We were both at that game where he stole the puck from Mantha. That was that was a fun atmosphere that day. Yes. That, that, was, that game was fun for me oh this is tough because i I have somehow been lucky to like end up at some of the most fun games so to speak but i would have to say my favorite was probably game two of the eastern conference final in 2017 where they beat ottawa 1-0 on a phil kessel goal and I don't know if I've ever been in a louder stadium or arena in my life when that goal went in, because if you remember that game, the Penguins played very well. They were all over the, the Senators that game. It wasn't a one nothing stalemate, even though that's how Ottawa played that postseason. The Penguins barraged the Senators that whole game, and when Kessel finally broke through, it was just the cap getting let off. A runner up for me, though, because I can't really count it as a game, was that same playoff, the cup winning game in 2017. I went to PPG Paints Arena to watch it on the scoreboard with Mikey and Bob as the in arena MCs. And same deal like one nothing game, well, two nothing because Hagelin got the empty netter, but just almost 60 minutes of scoreless hockey and Patrick Hornquist scores the cup winning goal and that place just went bonkers it was and the the way they set that up too was they treated it like the game was being played there so when hornquist scores the goal horn goes off all the animations start playing ryan mill comes over and announces the goal so that was a ton of fun but favorite game i've been to was 2017 eastern conference final game two
0: Remember watching that at home with my mom, and she went absolutely nuts when Kessel scored that goal because he kept having a fit on the bench <laughs> towards of getting Malkin. Chris Kunitz was just laughing, drinking the water every five the seconds. F- the
1: famous GIF.
0: Yes, uh, that game was awesome. It just got the stench out of Game One because I think the Penguins should have won Game One as well. A couple more here. Theo Belmont asks, "Hey Hunter, love the show." What is your favorite single goal during the Sydney Crosby era? He says his is Talbot's second goal in Game 7 of the 2009 Stanley Cup Final to make it 2-0 at the time. This is such a good question because you could name probably about 50, 60 goals of this era. I'm going to go, though, the just the goal. 2009 Stanley Cup Final, Game 4, the 2-on-1 with Crosby and Malkin. When Malkin dishes over the pass, it gets blocked, dishes it over again. Crosby scores past Osgood. That came right after Jordan Stahl tied the game on a shorthanded goal. Right when the Penguins scored that one, I said to myself, and I I I was only 11 at the time, but I remember this like it was yesterday. I was like, okay, this feels different because... The way the igloo was so loud, the way the fans were outside just getting riled up at the the watch screen, seeing the way the team had that swagger right after that goal was scored. And they had that swagger, honestly, throughout that run. But especially after that goal was scored, I was like, they're not losing this. They're going to win this series. Even after they lost 5 nothing at the Joe in game five, I still had that confidence and that belief. That, I think, is my favorite goal. Of this era, because I was like, okay, we're about to see something really special. And that goal just blew the roof off of Mellon Arena.
1: We we could do a whole episode together of yes. favorite goals in this era. Mine, I think, will always be... I, it's the 2014-15... No, 2013-14 season. Evgeny Malkin against Tampa Bay, where he gets the puck at the defensive blue line and walks through all five Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. players and then just goes five hole on. I think it was Brian Elliott was the goalie that year. I can't, I can't totally remember, but it was so reminiscent of a Mario Lemieux goal to where he just got the puck, picked up speed and realized, Oh, that's right. I'm not only bigger than everyone, I'm better than everyone on this ice. So I'm just going to score. And it was that season for Malkin, 13-14, I always 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 say this about him that season because it was a phrase one of my old hockey coaches used. That season was just a vulgar display of dominance from Kenny Malkin that season, and that goal punctuated it so well.
0: That was – it was actually on Dwayne Rolison, I think was it that season. And it might have yeah. been – was it 2013-14 or was it 2012? I think that might be the one you're thinking of. Or he might have done it twice. You're, you're right.
1: It, it it was 2012 because yes, Sid, was, Sid was uh, Sid was still out with the concussion and Gino was coming back from knee surgery. He won the heart so, that year. Yeah, because that was the year that, that, that Crosby was still in flux on whether or not he'd come back. And Malkin kind of said like, "Okay," it, it, publicly, basically, came out and said, "All right, I'm going to carry the team until Sid gets back." And yeah, that yeah, you're right. That was uh, twelve, thirteen.
0: Yes, and that was
1: because I always I always delineated like concussion, lockout, and because I can, I can never remember if that one was post or pre lockout. Thanks, Gary.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember the goals in 2012, and he just knifed through everyone like it was nothing. Dwayne Rollison, poor guy, couldn't do anything to stop him. Yeah, that was the year that he he, he won the heart. But finally, to wrap up the mailbag send before entering the show with some Tristan Jari talk, Alan Tioder wants to know which game or games are you most looking forward to the most this upcoming season? Honestly, the home opener, Alan, game against the Chicago Blackhawks, the team that ended your season. This past year, Connor Bedard, his first NHL hockey game. He can joke all he wants and say, oh, if I make the team, buddy, we all know you're going to be on the team come October. But seeing him go up against Sidney Crosby, that's going to be a lot of fun. Later on in the month, they play both Dallas and Colorado right before Halloween. Really looking forward to those two games. If I can get my hands on those two, uh, two tickets, I should say, for games. The Rangers won right before Thanksgiving as well. That will be a lot of fun. So those are just a few games that I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season. Pat, is there anything that jumps out at you right now when you look at the schedule?
1: Yeah, I was going to go with the home opener against Chicago, and I, and obviously, you know, you want to see the first overall pick, the generational talent in Connor Bedard come in. But the reason I want to see it is because I always say this about Sid: he might be the most competitive athlete, but he is definitely the most petty. And he's going to see Connor Bedard on the other end of the ice and be like, okay, kid, your, your time's coming, but not yet. I'm still here. And we'll probably get a good performance out of Sid for that one. And I'm also with you on the Rangers game right before Thanksgiving because the Thanksgiving Eve game uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, regardless of what, how everybody celebrates the night before Thanksgiving – That game just always has a fun feel because, you know, the college students are back and they're getting tickets and it's a holiday and it's, it's, it's a much more fun, much more relaxed, intense crowd. So that's another game that if I can snag a pair of tickets to, I would love to be at just because that game is always fun. Absolutely. I mean,
0: I'll probably not be in town for that one (laughs) because I'll probably be down in Virginia, either at my mom's house or my uncle's house down in Richmond. That's usually where we hail. We, well, we, have thanksgiving i should say each year but still that's going to be quite a fun atmosphere especially against the rangers a team that is now arguably the penguins biggest rival. i love how it goes in cycles washington's up the top now it's gone down a little bit rangers were at the bottom a little bit and then they've gone up the flyers are at the top a little bit they've gone down a little bit as well just a nice little endless cycle when it comes to that all right pat wrapping up the show now with some tristan jari talk he spoke to the media for the first time since signing his five-year deal on Thursday. And when I was watching that media conference back, man, he looks like and sounds like someone who is ready to prove a lot of people wrong this upcoming season. He said that he's hundred percent healthy right now. He said he does not have a chronic hip issue. I believe that was reported by Frank Sarvali of daily face off during the season. He said the other injuries that he had are all gone. And he's just ready to get back to work and stay healthy. And, you know, he said the same kind of thing after the Islanders series where he kind of melted down, was playing really well that next season, was one of the best goaltenders in hockey. And then we obviously saw him get hurt. If he's able to stay healthy, I don't think there's anyone out there who who would say he can't. Get back to that level where he was a 921 goalie, a 919 goalie. The contract definitely carries a lot of risk, as I have been saying on the show. But if he's healthy, I don't think there's 10 goalies in the league better than him. And he looks like he's ready for some vengeance this year.
1: Yeah, we talked about it before we hit record. After the Islanders meltdown that season, that next season, he was pretty good. I mean, he was one of the better goalies in the league. And I've written about it on KDKA. When healthy, and I, and yes, that's the biggest caveat, it, it, and rightfully so. When healthy, he's, his name's right up there with the Connor Hellebuck's, Linus Olmark's of the league. And I also think there's a little bit of hidden genius in the five-year deal for Tristan Jari. Now, this might be copium or me talking myself into it, but when you're a young player, you don't have a ton of certainty in pro sports, you don't know what your next contract's going to be. You don't know where you're going to play. You don't know how much you're going to make. Now he's got a five-year deal. He doesn't have to play for a contract. Sure, he has to play up to a contract, but right now he knows where he is. He knows what team he's the goalie for. And mix that with the injury troubles, the, the meltdown against the Islanders, not getting his redemption arc against the Rangers the next year, I think he could have a pretty good bounce back season. But to quote the other head coach, Mike in Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin, the best ability is availability. So for him, we have to hope he stays healthy. But like I said, when healthy, he's a solid goaltender. He's one of the better ones in the league. And if he stays healthy, which we're going to have to keep saying, there's a good chance I think he really helps this team. And our friend Rob Rossi said it in his story in The Athletic this week about talking to Eddie Johnston, the, you know, I guess you could call him the godfather of the Penguins. Penguins have never needed a Vesna caliber goaltender in the modern era. It's just a guy who has to be able to make the next save. You don't have to win the Vesna to be the Penguins goalie. You just have to be good enough to let this team get the next goal. And if he's just good enough to let this team get the next goal and they bolster their offense or blue line, I think he can be that guy.
0: Heck, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury led them to a cup. He was never a true Vesna guy. Matt Murray had two great seasons. You know, he's never been a Vesna guy either. So that's a very good point that you made there. You don't need to be, you know, an Igor Shostakovich and Andre Vasilevsky. That would certainly help. I'll throw UC Soros in there as well. That would certainly help. But if this team can just get average to a little bit above average goaltending, They can be really freaking good. And it feels like we've been saying that so often with this team over the past couple of seasons, but it's true. The goaltending
1: has failed them badly in the playoffs when they've needed it most. Well, the way, the way I wrote about it today in penguins perspectives was Tristan Jari doesn't have to steal games this year. He just can't give them away. That's all he has to do.
0: I agree. I think that's very fair. And, All the spotlight's going to be on him when the season kicks off in October. But, Pat, I believe that will do it for this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I really appreciate you coming on for this one. That will wrap up. I believe this is season four of the show now. I can't believe I've been doing this for almost four years. Thank you all so much for listening to slash watching this podcast on a daily basis throughout another spectacular season. The show will go down to three episodes a week starting on Monday. And it will be like that for the next couple of months before we get back to daily for our training camp. But again, thank you all so much. You all are the absolute best. But before we leave, Pat, I'm going to give you all, give you the floor to plug any and everything.
1: Well, uh, season finale, you, you, you got to get, you got to get better people. You can't end the season with this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, you can find me on Twitter and threads at synonym for what everywhere you can find it. Uh, I write the Penguins Perspectives column on kdk.com each Friday. I try to have it up by about 8 a.m. every Friday. As I tell Hunter, I work basically a weird shift where I start the day at 4 a.m. So I try to get that knocked out right before I log in for the day. So Penguins Perspectives on kdk.com. Follow me on social media. And uh, I hope we can do this again, man. This is a ton of fun. Same here. This was a lot of fun to do. Thank you all so much for sending in
0: your mailbag questions. If I missed yours, I apologize. Please don't get mad at me. It was There's nothing against any of your questions. I just tried to choose the ones that I felt were best for the show and just overall, I could was never going to get to every single question. So again, Thank you all so much for listening to slash watching this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I will have another episode for you all on Monday and then I'll have another episode hopefully Wednesday and then Friday of next week. So have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again. Talk to you soon.